This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Every day on The Big Show. Gordon and Jake want to keep you up to date on all the action, all the newsmakers, and all the big opinions on the Zone Sports Network. This is What's Going On on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's a big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's time for a little What's Going On, where we check in with the other shows on the Zone Sports Network, brought to you today by our friends at Premium Wave Therapy. You have heard about Acoustic Wave for ED and how it is an effective treatment to help nearly all men. There is now a physician-owned clinic here in Salt Lake. Learn how they are unique by visiting premiumwave.com for more information and to learn about a special offer. Ready to go, Gordon? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's start things off with DJ and PK. Talk about the pending return of one Donovan Mitchell. PK, before we get into any playoff predictions, of course, we have to know who the Jazz are going to be playing in the first round. Got to wait for the playing tournament. But even more importantly, Donovan Mitchell, is he going to be back for the playoff opener? Is he going to come back 100%? Will he be physically 100%? But will he be rusty and not in the groove and struggle for a game or two? Lots of questions. And until you answer those questions, you can't get to the most important question, which is how far are the Jazz going and can they win it all? Well, uh, we don't need Mitchell to go all the way. I think that's evident. Okay, probably not. Uh, But you look at a Rusty Mitchell, it's conceivable. Now, we have Quinn Snyder after the Jazz finished up the regular season on Sunday. uh, Someone asked him about uh, Mike Conley getting back. You know, that was his second game back, right? And why don't we hear from Quinn talking about that very thing? Yeah, I think it shows you how deep they run. You know, it's it's like a you know a friendship. You know, where you you have a close friend that you don't see him in a while. It, it doesn't take you long to pick up where you left off. I, mean, I think we all know those types of relationships, and you know, I, I think that's the relationship that Mike has with this team and with the guys on this team, and that's the relationship that they have with him. So when that is the case, obviously there are certain things you try to figure out, but there's other things that just come natural, and I think that's what you saw. Okay, so I can buy that. You know, Conley, a 33-year-old guy, been around, and he's a veteran. He knows his role. He doesn't try to do anything more than what they want him to do. But you look at the Lakers, and everyone's pointing to them because they've had two big-time megastars be out for a while. And LeBron came back and actually didn't miss a beat. You know, he uh, played uh, his last game was uh, March 20th. He got hurt. Then he comes back uh, Friday uh, April 30th, right? So that's uh, more than five weeks. Basically hits the ground running. And then he misses a couple more games, comes back. And then over the weekend, he scores 24-25. So he, and that was after missing another almost two weeks, right? So he didn't miss a beat. But then you look at Anthony Davis. And he plays 
in February, the middle of February, right? It's right before the All-Star break. And then he's out until the middle of April, towards the end of April. And you look at him, he goes uh, 2 of 10, 5 of 19 in his first two ball games. He His three-point shooting was uh, 1 for 11 in first three games. So I got two examples there. Now, it doesn't matter that much because they have regular season games, particularly in the case of Davis when he's coming back in April. He's got plenty of time to get together. But these are playoff games, right? So obviously every one of them is huge. So I do have a little bit of concern about how Donovan Mitchell comes back and be able and is able to get where he needs to be. Now, I don't think, and I'll see what you think, that he can come back and immediately be the best offensive player. You think so? No. Gut instinct says no. I think the most uh, normal expected path was that he's decent in his first couple games back. I don't know. He scores his 20, his 24 points, whatever. Maybe not the most efficient shooting. Uh, But you start getting two, three, four games deep, and then he's liable to drop 38 on you. Sure. But do they have three, four, five games to waste? point. But to wait until he develops. Yeah, and I don't know that they do waste them. You know, there's a lot of different ways for this team to win. They don't have to have... 38 out of him to win. Obviously, if they True. if they do, great. But, you know, Conley goes for 20. Ingles goes for 20. Matt Clarkson's dropping 30. I think we're going to leave Matt Thomas out of this equation, but <laughs> thanks for contributing three that. Three-point shooter. He, he is the 11th or 12th guy down the bench. He is the three-point shooter. You're right. <laughs> you got me there. Uh, so there are other paths to win. I mean, I think before we even get to how's he going to come back game one, I would want to know what this week is like. And they're not going to tell us what this week is like. Maybe if it goes well at the end of the week, they will, right? But do they have a couple of hard practices and is he in them ready to go? Has he been playing two-on-two and three-on-three and he's about ready, you know, to take that next step to five-on-five? Or is he not going to be able to even play three-on-three until Friday? I don't know the answer to those questions. You know, we can ask around and find out. You know, we'll see how this goes. It doesn't really matter how he's doing now if he tweaks again on Thursday or Friday. So it could be bad now and better later. It could be good now and worse later. I mean, we can drive ourselves nuts thinking about this. I think the fact is they don't have to have him completely go off. It'd be great if they could just have him on the court because he's got the basketball word that gets beat into the ground that you would hate to hear and would drive you nuts and then you would scream and it would be great, is gravity, right? Steph Curry's gravity. Steph Curry moves everybody on the court. We just heard uh, Steve Cleveland say, Wiggins' numbers are better. Hey, his shooting percentages are up from three, from the floor. His shots per game are down, but I'll bet the shots he get are, are better. And it's because Steph Curry, it's his gravity. Donovan Mitchell just being there. I think we'll open stuff up for other guys. Well, you have gravity, too, but it's sinking. Hey-oh. <laughs> I got a bad case of furniture. What's that? My chest is falling into my drawers. There you go. DJ and PK talking about Donovan Mitchell uh, coming back. Uh, what do you think, Gordon? Well, you know, I heard them say, I heard them say that this morning about Donovan not being back up to speed. And and it really made me wonder whether whether he could be back to speed right away. I mean, sometimes you see players come back and they're ready to go, especially when they're young. And so I, 
I think the Jazz are going to need him to play uh, like Donovan Mitchell. Now, does that mean he's going to score 57 points? No, I wouldn't expect that. But I expect him to get mid-20s. I don't think you can undersell Donovan Mitchell's importance, so don't get me wrong. But I think with the way that this team has been constructed, and we talked to Mannix quite a bit about this, that they are much more than a one-man show. And uh, even if it were just Rudy and Donovan and a bunch of scrubs, the Jazz would be nowhere near this good. It's Rudy, Donovan, then you add the pieces around playing like they do, which makes them, um, at the moment, the best team in the league. So you would hope that that makes them less uh, dependent on Donovan Mitchell. Does that make sense? I'm not, I'm not trying to undersell his importance, but you would hope that he would have the latitude to work his way back in if there is a little rust, which I kind of— and, and what does that mean? What does work your way back in? I know. I, I snicker I, at that because what does that mean? It's a cliche. I, I just wonder, is that is that based on uh, a minute's restriction? Uh, is that based on that he just won't be ready, that, that he'll— For instance, when LeBron came back, he's scoring— you know, like LeBron. He's doing what LeBron does. Uh, AD, when he came back, he had that 42-point game. I, I I just wonder, are we to expect Donovan Mitchell not to be Donovan? I, I don't think you could possibly know the answer to that because we have no idea yeah. how hurt he is. Yeah. So uh, I I guess what I'm saying is they were talking about the rust factor. So let's say he comes back and he needs a, a little time to get his shot back or his legs under him or whatever cliche you want to throw out there. You would hope that the team around him would be good enough to give him the latitude to work through whatever he had to. Like, I'm, I guess I'm just saying that you would hope the other, the rest of the team is playing well enough that Donovan doesn't have to come back and score 40 for the Jazz to have a chance to win against whomever they're playing. Well, he, let's say they play the Warriors, and the Warriors try and do what they did to the Jazz uh, in the last regular season time they played. Uh, they need Donovan to beat that team. I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, I think they do, especially if they play defense the way they did. Now, what was that, a one-point victory? Yeah, and they didn't have Mike Conley either. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you're right. I just don't know what Donovan Mitchell looks like when he's not Donovan Mitchell. I mean, we've seen him have off-shooting games, but are we to expect because he hasn't played that he won't be efficient in his shooting? Or or what what is the hang-up? After all this time, him rehabbing, and let's presume he's ready to go in Game One of the playoffs. What, what, what's going to be limited? His energy, his, his, uh, his shooting, his timing. Do you think that's all going to be a skill? It's almost frustrating to talk about because we have no idea. Yeah, we have no idea. Who knows? But I, I actually, what I think DJ and PK were getting at is that. He may not be the the ultimate Donovan Mitchell. You know, he, he's not going to go out and score 50 points. Okay. I mean, that was an extreme Donovan Mitchell. But I think he'll, if he is healthy, I think he would be ready to be Don. You know, just go out and be what he, he typically is, not what he is at the absolute peak of his performance. I think a lot of times when people talk about this sort of stuff, they're just looking for something to be pessimistic about. I have no reason to expect him to come back and be anything other than the the team leader and fine basketball player that he is. The only thing that you think uh, would may not be in that way is his conditioning. 
but I assume he's been working on that. And uh, you know, that's tough with an ankle injury. That could be an issue. Another cliche is, yeah, but it's not game tempo. Game shape. No, maybe that that might be an issue. I don't know. Uh, We learned from Mannix's uh, article that uh, Donovan enjoys spinning. Can you spin with a with a sprained (laughs) ankle? I mean, that maybe that might be an issue because it's tough to run on one. We all know that, right? But I mean, I don't know. I I would expect him to be rested. He's had a month off in a tough season where he probably needed a little rest. Well, so we, why can't we look at that and say, boy, we're going to get arrested Donovan Mitchell back on the floor? Well, everything that we've said here is if. Because <laughs> we don't know. That's my point. It's awkward to talk about because who knows? The Jazz. I, I, we don't even know who they're playing. But right. it's easy to think that the Jazz are going to need Donovan Mitchell to be Donovan Mitchell in order for them to fulfill their goals. Depending on who they're playing, but yeah, to fulfill their goals. Well put. Yeah. I, I actually, you, right on. All right, let's get to Hanson Scotty uh, having a convo with uh, the Booner about the importance of fans in the stands. It's huge. I mean, it's just huge, Hanson, I mean, to have your fans. I mean, that that support that you get from um, from fans is it, it takes you to another level. Uh, it, it it accelerates your game. It it, it makes you. Uh, and, and you think, well, boy, well, why do players? I mean, why wouldn't you want? Why couldn't you play that hard anyway? But you know, that that support you get from the fans is is is, is unmeasurable, I, I think. Uh, and then the fact that this most players come here and have, don't they don't like it. I mean, if you ask any NBA player, lots of NBA players back in the day or even now about playing in Salt Lake City, it's a huge advantage. I mean, they, they, the crowd is right there on top of you. The arena was built for basketball, not hockey. And then, you know, you play basketball in it. This That arena was built for basketball, so the fans are right there on top of you. And the support that the, that the team gets is opponents recognize that. And, that, and they, they can hear everything that's <laughs> that fans are saying to them and that type of thing. But it's a huge advantage for sure. And, you know, you know that from football. It's, oh, it's a yeah. huge advantage. Yeah. Huge advantage. Yeah. Ron, uh, <laughs> hey, tell you what, Ron Boone joining us right here on 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Got big crowds at Weezer. It's a huge, huge advantage. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we didn't have bleachers, Ron. We had a, we had a, a hillside. Our, our football field was right underneath a hillside. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, so, Ant. I went to a junior college in Iowa. For one year before I went to Idaho State. All right. And the nightly Friday, Saturday night activity, if it wasn't a hayride, did you go on a hayride? Many oh, hayrides. A lot of hayrides. <laughs> Many hayrides. <laughs> I, I, many hayrides. That, but that was like, okay, something big. But, <laughs> <laughs> We'd take the hayride to the barn dance. And that's, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> but that was a rude awakening for me going to a small town like that. And, and, and the, that was the weekly and weekend fun (laughs) except for for driving around the square to the truck stop back to the school over and over and over again till they ran out of gas and then go home the drag yeah scotty i know you had a oh yeah absolutely we we absolutely had a drag that's what you do in small town (laughs) country small towns we go from the school down to the try (laughs) hang out at safeway and back up to the school that's (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Every time you every, you pass the same car about ten times, and you honk at them. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My goodness, Rod. <laughs> I didn't I didn't mean to bring back memories for you guys. You know, those are good but, memories, Ron. You probably you probably got to Pocatello and thought, "Wow, this is a big city now." <laughs> this is a big city, absolutely. <laughs> Anything I want here in Pocatello. <laughs> if you had to identify the X factor on the Jazz roster, uh, a guy that is going to have to be at the top of his game and a guy that makes all the difference um, in, a, in a potential run for the Utah Jazz, who is the Jazz X factor? You don't have, I'm not going to go one individual player. I think collectively, first of all, I don't think the Jazz should be afraid of any team in the NBA, um, regardless of who they're playing. But I think as a team, the X factor is is the team. The X factor is Boyan. The X factor is, is um, Conley or Joe Ingles or someone. All of those guys, and, and if you understand what I'm saying, the the way they play together, the way they move the basketball, uh, that's the X factor, and that's what makes this team so good. That's the reason they're able to get over 43 point shots a ball game. It's because of, of the way the team plays. Uh, Rudy, if you want to put an X factor on it, you can put you can say Rudy Gobert because of his defense and the way he intimidates players. I don't know if you watched players drive into the lane and Rudy's there, they pass it out or they back it out and go a different direction or something like that. That's just as good as a block shot in, in a lot of cases. So if you want to put one player or one X factor or anything like that, I'd say Rudy Gobert. But uh, as a team, I'd say this collectively, this is. Um, it's probably the whole team. There you go. Ron Boone talking about a number of different things there with Hanson Scotty. Uh, let's talk about what he ended with. X factor for the Jazz. Who absolutely has to play well in a playoff series for them to advance? Well, <laughs> when I think of an X factor, I think of somebody who you, you don't really expect. I think to of that a... too a little bit. So it's tough to say Rudy's the X factor. Yeah. But but to Booner's point, if Rudy has bad games, the Jazz will certainly Right. I lose. mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it depends on how you define X right, factor. Right. Let's go with your definition of it. Uh, well, if it's if it's something of a margin, not necessarily marginal player, but a, a, a player that is sort of doesn't contribute on the reg in a major way, then I would. Uh, Maybe Joe Ingles, even though he does contribute. But well, I don't think an X factor has to be somebody who doesn't contribute. I think it's kind of like who has to perform. This is my definition of it. Who has to perform outside of the constants, right? You know, it seems like obvious if if Donovan if Mitchell that, and Rudy Gobert aren't uh, playing yeah. well, the, the Jazz are going to have a tough time. But who's the guy who you know if things are going really well for the Jazz in the series, who's probably playing well? I don't dislike your Joe Ingles answer because he was an X factor in a series for the Jazz in a negative way a couple of years ago against the Rockets. Mm -hmm. So I I think there's some evidence to to your answer there. Um, I I think there could be several good ones, but I'm going to go with Bogdanovich because he was a little bit of the missing element last year to the Jazz in the playoffs. And I do believe that the defense will be a constant. I think they're going to need players to step up and make big shots when it matters the most. And everybody goes, yeah, the Donovan, he's the star. Again, not necessarily the constant. Donovan's not going to make every single shot down the stretch. Who's going to hit 
big, important shots when there's a hand in their face, and I think that guy needs to be Bogdanovich. Well, I like the way you frame that because it seems like the Jazz get in trouble sometimes when they when they when this momentum builds of them missing shots. And if Bogdanovich is hitting his shots or Joe Ingles is hitting his shots, that's just one more player to be hitting his shots on top of what you would expect from Donovan, on right. top of what you would expect from from uh, from uh, Jordan Clarkson. Uh, and that, that uh, yeah, it's a boost. It's an extra boost to put you over the top. I think there are a number of good answers on the squad, which should kind of tell you how deep you the team is. You could say Royce O'Neal. Oh, absolutely. You could say Jordan Clarkson. Although, isn't he kind of a given? Well, not according to you. You call him a ball hog all the time. First of all, I don't call anybody anything all the time. Most of the time? No. The majority of You're the time? You're such a negative guy. <laughs> Me, I am not the negative one on this show. Thanks. It's either. either often or seldom. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, but anyway, I think he could be a good answer for a variety of reasons. They're gonna. How about this? They're gonna need him to be a constant. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I can come along with that take. So yeah. So, but I think what we're accomplishing, what Booner said, in that the Jazz have to do it together. It's a collective effort. Yeah. yeah. And I think he's right. And about Quinn that. would say the same thing. But I mean, to his specific Rudy answer, yeah, if Rudy has a bad series. The Jazz are gonna lose, and probably lose by a lot. Yeah, that would not be good. That would be like Donovan Mitchell having a lousy series. Well, even more impactful, yeah. I'd say. Yeah. No offense to Donovan. Yeah. But he's got a lot more help on the offensive side of the ball than Rudy does on the defensive side of the ball. Well, both Donovan and Rudy have established themselves as stars, and so they have to play well. They have to play well. They're stars. That's what stars do, especially in the playoffs, right? Some do. Well, if if they don't, then they're not necessarily going to keep being stars, especially when you're still establishing yourself the way Donovan is. Yeah, Paul George still seems like a star. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Chris Paul, most people would consider a star. Well, you got to confuse everything here. James with Harden, most people would still consider a star. <laughs> it does happen where stars don't perform Fall up to short. Their, yeah. their, their level. Happens quite a bit. But in order for the Jazz to, to do what... We're asked this question over and over again. What's going to happen? How the Jazz is going to play in the playoffs? Those two have to be stars in the playoffs. And and I, I know DJ and PK were saying they're not expecting Donovan to be a star, really, or to play like a star right off the bat. But, you know, how much how much time is it going to take? How much time? What, do the, what can the Jazz afford? Maybe in an early series against the Spurs? <laughs> I don't know. I don't expect they can him. bring him back in five minute increments. I don't expect him to struggle. Uh, I, I don't either. I don't. He's young. Yeah, unless he's hurt still. If he's hurt still, then all bets are off. All right, let's jump out to the zone phone. We're talking performance in the playoffs. Let's talk about performance when it comes to IT security and a lot of other really major issues for businesses these days. What's going on? Welcome into the show, our friend Gabe Gomez from Syringa Networks. What's up, Gabe? Hey, Jake. Uh, doing well. How about you guys? Hey, doing doing terrific. Uh, you know, let's start with with IT security. You know, it's been in the headlines recently, but this has got to be one of the major issues that's facing any uh, any business out there these days. 
Oh, for sure. If uh, the headline, the recent headlines about the oil pipeline ransomware attack uh, wasn't a wake-up call, there you know, it's 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 high time that the companies really take a close look at their security. Um, there's definitely a need to do that, um, especially with remote workers and all sorts of different uh, things going on right now that uh, really make this a pressing matter. And it's something that at Syringa Networks we're certainly available to to help businesses in Utah be able to assess their uh, IT security. And, of course, you guys do tons of stuff. This is in addition to, you know, all the other great things we've talked to you about for years now. Yeah, that's correct. We have, you know, nearly 2,000 miles of fiber in the, the Utah markets. We've, uh, you know, over 1,000 connected buildings. We provide Internet access. We provide telephone service. We provide other ways to connect uh, uh, businesses together. So, yeah, we're definitely a... We cover the the full gambit of telecommunication services and IT security. How much digging uh, to lay that cable did you do yourself, Gabe? <laughs> Lots. I'm oh sure. yeah, out I there twenty four seven. All right, get started now. <laughs> SyringaNetworks.net or call three eight five four twenty seventy eight eighty one at SyringaNetworks.net or three eight five four twenty seventy eight eighty one. Gabe, thank you, sir. Thank you, guys. That's our friend Gabe Gomez from Syringa Networks. I always like when he drops that stat of how many thousand miles cable that they have buried around here. <laughs> a lot of digging. I impress you. A lot of digging. Like Andy Dufresne and Shawshank. 500 football fields. Or five football fields. 500 football fields. That'd be a little <laughs> longer. SyringaNetworks.net or 385-420-7881. More next. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. What the? It's half past the hour and time to talk Utah Jazz. Oh, Donovan! This is your Jazz at 30 update, presented by Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce? Get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. Ring the 30-point bell. All right, the Eastern Conference playoff play-in games are tonight. The Western Conference play-in games will be tomorrow night. The Jazz will have to wait until Friday to find out who their opponent is. Here's Rudy Gobert talking about having to wait. I think it's it's about ourselves regardless. You know, we, I mean, obviously we know uh, the potential opponents that we could could face, but it's really about, you know, Recharge, you know, get healthy, uh, get mentally prepared, you know, get physically, mentally prepared. Uh, and uh, <laughs> those, my, those games are going to be fun to watch. I think, uh, you know, I'm excited to watch those games. And uh, whoever we face, you know, we know that, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a long, it's going to be a long journey and we're going to be ready uh, to face whoever we face. We don't know who the Jazz will play. We kind of know when they're going to play. They'll play game one of their playoff series against who knows on Sunday here at Vivid Arena. However, we do not know a game time yet. This update brought to you by our friends at Syringa Networks. Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports radio afternoon show. I grind every day just so I can live a better life. This is The Big Show, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing. 
Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. This one goes out to Papa Dave on a Total Request Tuesday. It's the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott. We're going to talk a little golf with BT here momentarily. Uh, it's going to be a Uinta Golf PGA Championship update. It is brought to you by Mountain Land Supply, Zions Bank, Hoops Vision, Siegfried and Jensen, and Black Desert Resort. And now uh, we'll get to BT coming up here momentarily. Are you ready for the PGA Championship, Gordon? They, they moved it, we remember. No. Um no. And uh, it, it feels weird to talk about it here in May, but here we are. Here we are, and it's always a pleasure to talk with uh, one Brian Taylor. You do hear him every Saturday morning alongside Bob Casper on Real Golf Radio. He's our friend Brian Taylor. What's up, BT? What's up, guys? How are you? Good. Uh, how are you? You Do you like this earlier PGA Championship? Is it is it good? I know we've talked about it before. It happened, what, last year, but uh, do you like it earlier? Yeah, it's kind of gotten lost. You know, they made a, a change a couple of years ago, and then with COVID, um, you know, kind of messed things up and put uh, the PGA in, what, October, um, September, October last year. So um, I don't even remember. Maybe it was August. It all runs together at this point in time. But, yeah, it's back in its uh, its spot where they, they kind of made their deal to, to move. And I think the PGA of America and the PGA Tour got together, and, and I think there's a better cadence um, for the way that major championships happen in golf now. So, Really, when you line it up in in March, you've got the Players' Championship, you've got the Masters in April. Now the PGA sits right there in May. There's not that sort of gap. And then U.S. Open in June, Open Championship in July. And then that paves the way for the FedEx Cup playoffs, which is, I think, why the PGA Tour was happy to make that switch and, and allows them to have August to get that done before football season. And then in September, you have the you know occasional Ryder and President's Cup uh, take place. So um, I, I do like it where it's at. It also opens up some, some more... Um, parts of the country to host a PGA championship with it not being so blazing hot um, in in August for a lot of the places in the South. BT, in all your conversations with uh, tour players, how do they view this? Do they view it as as, uh, sort of the fourth major, or do they see it differently? The PGA championship? Yeah. Well, it's for sure the fourth major. Um, I don't, you know, that's that's established. Um, The players' championship is uh, obvious. always argued as to whether it's the fifth major, but, you know, as far as moving it to May, I think the players are good with it. You know, I think it. Uh, I think everybody's looking at more of a definitive schedule, even though, you know, as soon as the season ends, <laughs> it starts right back up again the next week and uh, in the fall and, and goes around. But a lot of the big name players, they'll take some time off, you know, come into the playoffs and, and uh, you know, sit down and watch some football like everybody else before they ramp things back up again, you know, going into the beginning of the calendar year. So I, I think everyone's good with it. It's, it gives us something to look forward to each and every month of the golf season from March through August. 
All right, BT. Uh, two. This is a two-part question. First part is, what do you think about uh, the use of rangefinders at the PGA Championship? That's part one. <laughs> part two, Tony Finau was asked about it at a, a press conference, and he had no idea that, the, uh, that that was even happening. So part two question is, should Tony immediately fire his caddy? <laughs> You know, it's funny. I, I actually laughed at that too, Tony. And Tony's so great, right? Isn't he? Like he's he's such a pure dude, right? He's just up there. He's like, really, uh, really? You can use that, huh? I hadn't heard that. Um, so it, it, that was kind of a funny moment. But you, you know, it's interesting. They announced this a while back, and um, you know, uh, rangefinders are are a big part of the amateur game. I'm pretty sure that all the golfers that are listening right now, they probably have a rangefinder. I don't know. I don't think I would play without a rangefinder uh, right now. It just I've become accustomed to it. it. I have a little magnet holder for it. It sits right on top of the upright of the golf cart on the front there. And when I pull up to my ball, I grab the rangefinder, I click to the flag, and then and then I make a, a, a short determination. Okay, is it a back flag? Do I need to you know come off of that number? You know, you make a quick determination. I don't carry a yardage book like these tour guys. I don't have a caddy like the tour guys. And and so and I also am not playing pin placements on golf courses set up the way that these tour players have to play with such precision. So um, from a general standpoint, I think rangefinders are big for speeding up the game. I think the PGA of America is trying to say, hey, could that also take place in professional golf? Most of the players don't think so. Um, one, most of the players aren't looking for a number to the flag. Most of the tour players are looking for a number in front of the green. And then they'll consult the book and the, and the pin sheet and say, okay, how far is the pin on and where are we trying to land it? And in, in many cases, tour players are not shooting at the flag in order to try to get it close because of the different angles and the way they have to work the ball and due to the pin placements and things like that. So in most cases, the tour players think it's actually going to slow play up a little bit because they might shoot the flag as a check which just adds an extra step, but they're all already going to step it off with their caddy and consult the yardage book. So I don't know. I mean, the one scenario, if they hit it way offline and the book doesn't really cover that, rather than having to march it all the way back to the fairway, they could shoot it, give them an idea. In that scenario, I think it speeds it up. But uh, at the end of the day, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I think rangefinders are a great uh, advancement to the game of golf for most players. And I think the tour players, they the reason they still hit blades and, you know, they, they still like the yardage books is because it, it's just a little bit of a different game. BT, uh, nine years ago, Rory McIlroy had his way with that golf course and winning the 2012 PGA Championship. Is he is he the odds-on favorite to go again this time, especially coming off his win last month? I mean, is he the guy? He is. I mean, most people are looking at that. I mean, Rory had a timely win a couple weeks ago at Quell Hollow. Uh, it's the third time he's won there and it's side of his first PGA Tour win. And so he got out of a, a slump a little bit by, by getting back in the winner's circle in Charlotte. And so just in time for his return to Quell Hollow, or excuse me, to uh, the Ocean Course at Kiowa, where he, you know, as you pointed out, he won in 2012 by a record eight shots. He broke Jack Nicholas's margin for victory record uh, from 1980. So, you know, there, there's a lot of comparisons to what Rory was doing. He just won a couple majors, U.S. Open and PGA Championship, by record numbers, and he was clipping them off, you know, to the tune of Jack and Tiger. And when you start comparing, you know, a player doing that, you 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 know, the, the expectations rise quickly. And so, um, you know, Rory's definitely the favorite. I think he's got some confidence back. He's, uh, you know, he's a new dad. There's been a lot made made there. So some good things happen in his life. And just watching him at his press conference today, 
he's very content. He's very happy with his life right now. Everything seems to be in order. Uh, he doesn't have to answer the questions of when are you going to win again. The only question he's hoping to answer this week is can he finally win a major championship again for the first time since 2014 at the PGA Championship at Valhalla in Louisville. So I, I think you know that's a surprise, right, for somebody to come out and dominate so early in their career and then to have this hiatus to where here we are now some seven years later and we're still looking for Rory to pick up another major is, is surprising for sure, and I'm sure something he'd love to, to uh, put on the back burner. But he's got good feels coming in here. Uh, I, I think he's definitely one of the favorites. In fact, the only two really guys you can point to with the momentum, at least in my book, are, are Rory and Jordan Spieth, who just won recently as well. Tell us about the course, uh, BT, for those of us who aren't familiar with it. What kind of course is it? This is an awesome golf course. Pete Dye, super test. It was built for the War at the Shore, the 1991 Ryder Cup. Um, they've done some cool things at, at this golf course right along the Atlantic Ocean there. And they, they actually, you know, there's berms up along there, the sand dunes, and they, they actually raised the fairways up so that the players could actually have a view of the ocean. It also exposes the golf course a little bit more to those ocean winds. And, and wind is a huge defense here. Now, not as much wind in May as there is in August, so uh, they're talking about it, having it maybe play a little bit uh, less severe because of the wind. But, look, we're talking 7,800 yards. It's the longest golf course in major championship history. The PGA of America send, uh, t- tends to be the, the leader in that. It was at Aaron Hills. Um, uh, I guess that was the U.S. Open, though, at Aaron Hills, so I'll backtrack on that. But, you know, they like these majors like to, to kind of have these designations. Um, as longest ever type thing. I don't think they're going to play it all the way back. Um, it's, it's going to play plenty difficult. I was reading something that uh, I think it was uh, Will Zalatoris or one of the players hit three iron five times on the back nine alone. Most of these guys, you know, rarely dust off a three iron unless they're trying to, you know, hit a fairway on a par four that they can then hit a wedge in from there. So I think it's going to be a big test. I think you got to be a big hitter. Um, but more than that, you're probably going to need to be able to control your ball flight, keep it down low out of the wind. Um, you know, you think of guys like Cam Champ, you think of guys like Dustin Johnson, Tony Finau, who have length but also hit a penetrating ball flight. So, and, and then the greens are, you know, the greens are exposed. They're, they're, they're a little bit sticky. This past palum is a little bit different than what so they're, so the players are used to playing on. So it, this is going to be an awesome test. It's a very, very difficult closing stretch. I think four of the last six holes are in the top four most difficult holes on the golf course. So it, this thing's not going to be over till it's over, and hopefully we'll get some drama. We didn't really get much drama at the Masters. Hopefully we'll get some drama this week and, and have some good players in the mix. BT, this is kind of a maybe the dumbest question I've ever asked you, but I'll go ahead and ask it anyway. Do you personally like those oceanside courses? Is that because uh, some people like the big trees and they like being you know like Wingfoot or something? Do you like the do you like the oceanside types? Um, oh man, uh, I don't think it's a dumb question. I mean, people you know people that love golf can sit and debate you know best golf course settings and golf course uh you know architecture and all that type of thing it's one of the nerdy things that we like to do and me personally i mean maybe it's the fact that i grew up in idaho and utah live here now and spent most of my time you know we don't have an ocean uh to me and i think a lot of people i mean the ocean is the ultimate right i mean you know golf was established you know the links which connected the land to the sea and and right along those you know scottish you know uh, seaside you know links and and so to me i think pure golf is is seaside i mean i absolutely love pebble beach um you know uh, watching the walker cup at seminole a couple weeks ago that just looked so pure to me right along the ocean 
you know, you get the different breezes that come into play. Um, you obviously, usually in a situation, you've got some tropical uh, elements to it, which is nice. It's usually warm. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's great. And in this case, it's, it's a sandy kind of base, which you also get along those seaside links, which makes the golf course drain really nicely, which allows you to play it firm and fast. I, I, I absolutely love it. The scenery is great too. Let's just throw that out there. So, um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of seaside golf courses and, uh, I love that we're, you know, playing, you know, essentially back to back. You're going here and then going to Torrey Pines for the U S open next month. Well, it doesn't sound like fun, Jake. Take BT, go out to an Oceanside course somewhere, just play a couple rounds of golf. Well, yeah, cut BT out of that, and yeah, it sounds perfect. <laughs> wow, look, look, we had a lot of kumbaya going, and Jake brings it right I back. know. I know. It's a, it, and I'm the negative one on this show. Oh, huh? man, I tease because I love There B- was so much syrup there, Jake had to do something. <laughs> I had yeah, to I do something. In fact. Uh, BT, uh, in all seriousness, we look forward to yours and Bob's coverage throughout the week. Uh, love it when the majors roll around on the station because you guys make it a lot of fun. Well, hopefully with this COVID getting behind us, uh, we'll be able to get back to being on site. We've missed that. We love to be able to bring you that insight that comes from being there. Uh, looks like the Torrey Pines in the U.S. Open next month is going to keep things locked down pretty tight. But So it probably puts us at the Ryder Cup in Wisconsin you know, this fall. But uh, we, we appreciate you still being with us and letting us uh, chat golf with you throughout the major weeks. And it's always our pleasure. See, usually I'm jealous of, of BT because he's played all these courses. But I have played Torrey Pines many times. Honk. Yeah. Honk. Humble yeah. brag. I love it. Yeah. Thank you, BT. We appreciate it, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio, every Saturday morning alongside Bob Casper. Right now, let's get to, let's get some winners uh, or some qualifiers. It's time for the Uwinta Golf PGA Championship giveaway. Be caller 12 right now. See what player you get for this year's PGA Championship. 855-340-ZONE. Caller 12 will be paired with a top 25 golfer. And uh, one listener will be paired with 26 and the rest of the field. The player assi- If the player assigned to you wins, you will receive the same brand putter that player has in the bag. Qualifiers. Uh, go on now through tomorrow. It's all brought to you by Winter Golf, serving golf since 1971. Not Sports Report is next. It sure is. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Oh. Check this out. And now your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David Locke coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Stay tuned for that. But first, it's time for the Not Sports Report, brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Shop online, lhmusedcars.com. Gordon, where are we going today? We're going right here to Utah. Okay, local. Yeah. So, apparently wildlife officials 
are advising Utahns to be careful when it comes to bears this summer. See, what's happened is, Jake, you might have noticed that there's been a little bit of a drought. It's what they say, yeah. So when there's a drought, black bears in particular, they typically eat vegetation. 90% of their diet is vegetation, and their their uh, food supply is damaged when uh, when there's a drought. But there's something else as well. What's the lifespan, typically, of a black bear in the wild? That's our guy Steve Brown. Shout out to Steve. So, But there's something more. Because of the early, warmer weather this year, bears have awakened from their hibernation early. So not only do you have hungry bears, you have angry bears that have been stirred too early. They didn't get enough sleep. Think about what you're like when you don't get enough food or you don't get enough sleep. Well, just like today. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah. Wow, that was mean. Well, anyway, so that's what's going on. Uh, is it b- the bags under my eyes? Is, bear- it, is it my overall no, vibe? No, it's your, how mean you're being. Like like tired, cranky. Cranky, oh. yeah, that's a good word for it. Okay, anywho. So what they're saying, these experts are saying, because of these conditions, be really careful. And these are some of their tips. They say bear-proof all supplies and trash, which means... If you're out in the in the wilderness or you live in a house in the foothills or on the side of a mountain or something, don't leave your trash laying around. And it says here not even to leave like your barbecue around or dog food or water, stuff like that, that that can draw in bears. And if the bear is tired and the bear is hungry, who knows what he might do? Usually black bears, you know, I, I mean, I don't. I don't want to talk over everybody because, you know, I, I know these things and I don't want to make it sound like I'm you know, speaking down to anyone because I've studied the black bear and I understand it a little better. You have. But uh, I, I'm just saying, be careful. Don't leave your stuff around. Keep your campsite clean if you're out there, you know, and, and store your food in the trunk of your car or somewhere in a, lo- in a locked uh, trailer or something where the bear can't get that. Do not, Jake, feed the bears. Don't try to feed the bears. No, don't go up with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and hold it out for the bear. That's a, that's a tip. They say, uh, let's see, uh, remove items that could attract a bear to your home. I already mentioned that. And they say if you run across a black bear, do not play dead. Do not lay down on the ground and play dead. you got to fight back. Throw whatever you can at it. <laughs> Usually, a black bear will stand up and look at you and kind of check you out first. He's interested in seeing what you are. But if you don't uh, take a strong stand, and this is according to what I'm re- I've read in you know, my research, that, <laughs> that you might be in trouble if you just are, are, are meek and mild. you gotta, you got to sort of look like you're a threat. Does it say anything in there about my uh, recently gifted to me gag gift of a bacon-scented deodorant? Is that a bad idea? <laughs> you know, they do bring up bear spray in do here. Do they? Does that work? Is that like shark spray? I haven't had the, uh, really the pleasure of trying it. Yeah. I, I've never tried that either. What it, is shark spray? You know, you, you spray the shark. I don't think that With exists. what? Listerine? Banaka? 
All right. So there you go. Sharks. Beware uh, aware of bears. It is. Uh, Sharks. It's the big show uh, with Ranger Smith and Jake Scott. Let's get out to the zone phone. Joining us now from Syringa Networks. He's our friend Gabe, here to help you uh, with your IT security. Hold it together over there. Are you okay? Uh, it hurts when I laugh. <laughs> That's not good. Uh, Hi, Gabe. How are you? Doing doing well. How about you guys? Sounds like uh, you've got some great uh, outdoor stories going on there. Uh, Gabe, do you have some bear spray? Do you keep bear spray handy? You know, I'm, I'm fresh out. Fresh out. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk. Well, if you ever need any shark spray, let me know. Let's talk about security I'll, of, of I'll a different kind. Yeah, right. Let's let's talk security of a different kind, Gabe. How do we keep our uh, you know IT situation, our companies safe? Yeah, uh, businesses and really need to have some sort of an IT security plan. They need to really take a look at uh, their infrastructure. And even their employee practices of what they what emails they open, what they which emails they shouldn't open, things of that nature. Really, everything needs to be looked at from that perspective. And that's one of the things that we do as as Springer Networks. We we consult with companies on best practices in terms of what they need to be doing when it comes to uh, uh, cybersecurity. Which is just such a huge deal. Obviously, that's been in uh, uh, that's been in the news quite a bit. And you know, this is just one thing you guys do, uh, really, in an arsenal of of help where you're you're helping businesses succeed. Yeah, yeah. Security goes far just you know beyond just the, the firewall. Really, all aspects of your telecommunications um, services can be can be at risk. And so, as the, as Stringer Networks, we we do provide internet access, uh, telephone service. Um, offer other ways to connect your businesses and all these kind of uh, kind of all play together and we can stitch them together in regards of putting something that's uh, that's secure and you guys are local you're here seven by 24 by 365 you guys are picking up the phone that is correct uh, that is one of the the, the the big unique things about syringa networks is that we are local we and we we staff our our network operations center with uh really well-trained technicians and engineers to be able to uh, respond when when issues arise around the clock. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. That's syringanetworks.net or call 385-420-7881. That's 385-420-7881. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks, guys. Locke joins us next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.